So we've been doing what we call missional reading of these scriptures that we've been going into. Uh, and this month we're looking at the book of Joshua. Now we're going into a new phase in the life of ministry and worship here at Pimpama United Church. And I am really excited about the future that God is bringing for us. But what does that look like? We don't know. And what did that look like for Joshua going into the promised land? Well, he didn't know. He had a bit of an idea. If you remember, when they first entered the promised land, they saw giants. And they saw all of these menacing and scary things. And they didn't know if it was right for them. Of the 12 spies that entered into the land, only two came back saying, yes, let's do it. Let's follow God's will. Now, today's reading, I want us to hark back to that moment. I want you to think about that young Joshua and that sense of trepidation, that sense of insecurity, uncertainty. Do I know what I'm going out to do? And how we might feel the same way. I joked with you last month about how these pews are not designed to be particularly comfortable. And that's not because we want to make you feel uncomfortable as you sit in church. That's because it's an invitation for you to realize that after a while, we need to get up from the pews and go out into the community and share the love of Christ and share that sense of community that we have here so that people might want to come and be a part of it. Today's reading was about the cities of refuge. And in that passage, yes, there is this focus on, you know, if there is an accidental killing and how the avenger of blood might come after someone. Where we see that, I want you to think about human rules and rights and, and, and what is, is supposed to be justice from an earthly point of view. Now, yes, this was part of Moses' law, an eye for an eye and all that. But this was an element which God had actually told Moses about even back then. And he wanted Moses to be aware of this, that there would be space for the right kind of justice to come around. And what I love about this passage is that it is not just for the Israelites. It's also for those who are sojourning among them. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, Rev, how does that apply to me? How does that apply to my life? Well, dear friends, we, unfortunately, as we prayed earlier, are all responsible for the fact that Jesus went to that cross for our unintentional sending him to that cross. So I would say to you that every person alive needs a city of refuge needs a place where we can go to, where we can live our lives. They're invited, even the ones who are not Jewish, to go and live in these cities. And the city council was to provide them with a home. Wow, isn't that amazing? Think about what that would have meant for the people living there. Think about how they would have felt about those people encroaching on their, uh, their city coming in there. But yet that was part of what God had made their responsibility. And I would say to you that in this day and age, 
God has made the church's responsibility to open the door for all those who do not yet fully understand and yet fully know that it is because of us that Christ went to that cross. And if the law says that they're to be there until that moment of judgment, well, we believe that that moment is a long, long way away, don't we? We believe that that is only going to happen upon Christ's return. So what does that tell me as a missional reader looking at these cities? Well, it tells me a lot, and I want to unpack that for you today, for us today. And I want us to be thinking about how we, how we can be cities of refuge in the 21st century. Are you with me, church? Let's bow our heads and pray. God, be present with us. Let us quieten all the voices of our day, of our week, of everything that's going on in our lives and let us just be present in this moment. Let us connect with you. Lord, be our refuge from our busy lives this day. I pray in your son's name. Amen. So, oh, sorry. You're ahead of me there, Lloyd. <laughs> Go back one, just one. Thank you, thank you. So, we have this passage, Joshua 20, verses four to five. When they flee to one of these cities, They are to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state their case before the elders of the city. And then the elders are to admit the fugitive into the city and provide a place to live among them. The elders must not surrender the fugitive. This passage is, I think, really the heart of what God wanted here. The council of the city are to there to be there and to hear this and to understand what's going on. And then as a result, they are to respond with compassion. This is the heart of what mission is really supposed to be about. Christopher Wright has written, he's a theologian and a missiologist, and he has written what for many people would be the, the, the set text for 21st century missiology. And it's called the mission of God. In his first chapter, it is God's mission, not the church's. Okay? Can you imagine what that's all about? Saying that it is not for us to dictate, hey, this is how these things are meant to go. It's for us to listen to the voice of God and accept it and follow. And it is so important. Now, the book itself, I won't bore you with going into all the details. It's about that thick. I am not joking. I've had to do a number of assignments um, and book reviews on it. I know it in English and in Spanish. Um, it's, it's just been part of my headspace for the last 10 years or so. Yeah, yeah. My, I, I'm getting the nod of confirmation from my wife. Um, I've talked about it. I've carried it side by side with my Bible. Um, and I love the fact that in this book, a heavy academic text, it begins by outlining the reality that we cannot claim the mission. Because if we do, then straight away we're taking it out of the hands of the one who is actually able to make it perfect. Now that's what I see reading here. The elders are there to stand at the gate. And even, even if they are standing there and they're going, I don't like this person. 
I don't like the way they dress. I don't like the way they talk. They have an accent or they're from a people group that I don't like. It doesn't matter. They have to stand on the merit of the case. They have to. And because these cities have been set up in this special way, there's something about the fact that these, we're going to presume men, but we do know that there were female leaders in Israel as well. They are meant to have a heart for justice. I want you to say that word for me. Ready? One, two, three. Justice. It's a word that gets banded around a lot today. But when we're talking about God's justice, we're not talking about fickle, soft justice. We're talking about the kind of justice that says, though you do something wrong, I will make it right. Are you hearing me, people? This is where this is coming from. It was perfectly appropriate for the avenger of blood, usually a family member, to come after the one who was the murderer. But here, God intervenes. Can you hear the parallels with Christ? Let's continue. So where are these cities? And I want to commend Pauline on a beautiful reading. Thank you so much. You pronounced it beautifully. Wonderful. Wonderful. So we have, I want to start with Hebron on the other side of the Jordan on the way past beyond Jericho in the hill country of Ephraim, very close to Bethlehem in modern day Israel. Then next you have Shechem or Shechem. Um, up in the what is now the West Bank, uh, Kadesh, three kilometers from the border with Lebanon. Golan, some of you may remember the Golan Heights and the, uh, the controversy in that region. Ramoth, I'm guessing where it is on that map. <laughs> I couldn't really find evidence to where exactly it was. Um, there is a town in Jordan that bears this name. And Bezer is also in Jordan. What's one thing you notice? If you know, besides the fact that the map is on its side, and I just wanted to say, the reason why the map is on its side is because it's all oriented around the River Jordan. But I'll touch on that in a minute. What do you notice when you see this? Come tell me. Yes, equidistant. So if something happens in the kind of the border zone, they can choose where they're going to go to. In mission, that's what we're trying to do as well. We're trying to respect the fact that, you know, we have another a sister church in Qumran. We have a sister church in Narang. We have a sister church in Bin Li. And we want to try and respect the fact. But it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, we have lots of refugees coming here, don't we? From all over the place. Because you found community here. You found love. You found compassion. You found family. And that's important. So yes, they're equidistant in order to be able to create a presence. But I think people would go where they needed to go. And I believe God led them where they needed to go. What else? What else do we notice? Three on one side, three on the other. Thank you, Pauline. Three and three. Remember, we were talking about the River Jordan as this dividing line, this obstacle. Are you hearing me, people of God? 
You see, God, He sees our human obstacles. He doesn't say, oh, you, if you're a good enough believer, you overcome them. No, He doesn't say, if you have enough faith, you overcome them. No, He works around them. Just with us. Mission does require faith. But friends, as a person who's lived and breathed mission for a long time, it is hard enough. <laughs> it is hard enough to even be a person of faith in many respects. I don't believe God puts barriers intentionally. But I believe God does equip us. And sometimes that equipping means getting together with other people who are in mission together, who are in, in praying together, who are in worship together, and finding a way around, around. I love the stories where God breaks through barriers. Don't get me wrong. I love them. But I don't sit back and wait for that to happen. I acknowledge my reality and I ask God, Lord, lead me through this, if not around. And in that openness, we can begin to hear the voice of God. A dear friend of mine, a Mexican pastor back in Adelaide, he led a, a small group of about 45 Spanish-speaking uh, believers in the northern suburbs. He used to always say, God is a gentleman. He doesn't force his way. He doesn't push. He's not aggressive. He's not violent. If you know the character of God, you know that God is a gentleman. And that's what I see God working, how I see God working in mission and in the mission space. The third thing I wanted to highlight about this map for you, um, and I don't know how you feel about this, with the exception of Kadesh, none of these cities are in modern day Israel. Many of them are in Palestine. Many of them are in Jordan. What does that say to you? This territory was earmarked by God, but was it earmarked by God for a particular colonial mindset? No. It tells me that these cities continue to serve that purpose, in a sense, in a sense. And whatever purpose they once had has been done. And now, just like everything we see in Scripture that has been fulfilled in Christ Jesus, this I see once again as a picture of something that is supposed to be fulfilled in the church today. But I was moved when I saw that none of these cities are in present-day Israel, and that even Kadesh, only recently, did the border move from Lebanon to include that? Uh, three kilometers. Three kilometers. That's not far. I've lived in border towns before. I know of all the intermingling that takes place. We read after Joshua that the people of Israel become very hostile to their neighbors, don't we? They become very exclusivist. They close the borders. They close the cities. Literally closing gates of of cities. But yet in Exodus and in Joshua, we have this word, uh, the King James translates as the sojourner. They're foreigners. 
non-Jewish people like you and I, who traveled with Israel because they listened to God or because they were connected by family. And in this way, they were included in the blessing of God. And I find it interesting that when Israel said, no, God, we don't longer want to follow you. We want to have a king. We want to have a human man to be the leader who is head and shoulders above all of his friends. That's the language that's used there in, in um, Samuel. We find that they begin to go into this harsh, exclusive policy. Friends, I want to encourage us all to listen to God. And to have open hearts. Because sometimes he's bringing people and things into our lives that we don't understand. And through that he can do amazing and different things. So those are the um, aspects of this passage that I wanted to highlight for us. But I want to really narrow in on what this idea of refuge means. King David writes in his psalm, Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trusting him at all times, you people poured out your hearts to him for God is our refuge. Have you heard the saying that every piece of art from Japan has to do with Mount Fuji? Yeah, yeah. I, I learned this when I was in my early years studying art. Either the artist is drawing Mount Fuji or is standing on Mount Fuji producing the art because that is the heart and the influence of where their culture and society really draws its fruits. In the Bible, whenever you read the word refuge, I want you to think of that hole in the mountainside where Moses hid as God covered him with his hand and walked past. I want you to think about that moment of intimacy, of connection. As God in his majesty and power comes along, because Moses so desires to connect with him, to see him, to experience him. Why? Because Moses is about to lead his people into this promised land. And God can't reveal himself this way because Moses is a sinner and his presence, his glory would kill him. So therefore God carves out the side of the mountain according to the Talmud and he pushes him into it and covers him with his hand and lets him see his back. And that's it. God's love for Moses was showing him that he would be willing to break his own rules so that he could connect with him in this meaningful way. Every time you read the word refuge in the Old Testament, I want you to think of that moment because you know what? The authors were thinking of that moment. The authors were remembering how God came down on that mountain 
And he loved his servant Moses so much that he broke his own rules to connect with him. God did it again at the cross. He didn't need to send Jesus, but he chose to. He broke his own rules. The sacrifice that was sufficient would not come from human hands. It would come from his own. And in that moment, he became our firm refuge, our forever hiding place. And I love the fact that these are the words that King David shares with us. Because I don't think very many others in Scripture loved God as he did. He sought to live close to God so much that he moved the tabernacle from the mountain where they used to worship to his palace complex so that the word for temple actually became palace. And in that way, the people of God would not necessarily go up to a place of worship, but to the house of their king. Do you hear what I'm saying, people? God's refuge for us is an awesome provision. It is a love offering. It is an expression of his desire to connect with us, despite the fact that we don't deserve it. That is what I read. That is what I heard as I read what really could be a passage in Joshua that we would normally just flick through. Oh, yeah, cities of refuge. That's a nice concept. Flick, flick, flick. Let's get to the good stuff. (laughs) But that's what I heard. In the book of Romans, Paul really draws us into that sharp understanding of the person of Christ. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? I want to make a comment here on the word wrath. Because wrath almost looks like, you know, my anger, my vengeance. It draws me back to our passage where he talked about the one who was going to do the blood vengeance, doesn't it? But that's the idea. However, the word here has more connotation of the required punishment. Or if you will, the price. We use this phrase a lot and I think sometimes it loses its meaning. But I want to use it again for you. I want to say to you, the price of the cross was great. And I hope that that has a new significance for you this morning. Because that is what ultimately Paul is drawing our attention to here. Now we imagine the cross as a singular moment in time. You know what my favorite word in Greek is? Ephapax. Say it for me. Ephapax. It's a fun word to say, isn't it? Ephapax. I love it. It means once and for all time. And for me, it connects with that justification that we said earlier. Because that moment in time at the cross was once and for all time. 
It's not recreated every time a, a sinner repents. It is once and for all time. That is so crucial for us to understand. Because, like I said before, those cities, they served a purpose for a season. But now, it would not be a city, but a moment. A moment that would bring every heart that calls to Jesus into that deep relationship with God. In his book, um, Christopher Wright talks about how it's really impossible for us to do mission without knowing and understanding the heart of Christ. It's impossible for us to be able to share with others that Christ loves them without us knowing it first, without us living it first. And I remember the first time I read that and I thought, gee, that's a tall order. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I did. I'll, I'll... Confession time <laughs> from the reverend. Um, yeah, I thought this is, that's a tall order, mate. Um, how can you be saying you can only do mission if you live it? He wasn't saying you need to, you know, go out there and knock on all your neighbors' doors and go with your Bible and maybe a nice black tie, as some of our friends in other churches do. No, what Chris was trying to say was you need to live the reality that we are sinners needing God's forgiveness, but that that small act makes us children of God because then we're more likely to accept other children and we're more likely to be able to share that love. Do you hear that, Church of God? I want to conclude with the verse that actually inspired today's message. Um, and this comes from Eugene Peterson's The Message. I like his modern take and the language that he uses. He says, designate refuge cities. Actually, the word he uses there, and I replaced it. I don't know. I don't know. You, you tell me. You tell me. He says, designate cities of asylum. Do you like that better? No, not really. <laughs> I, went, I to and fro on this. Because I thought refuge means I'm getting away from something. But asylum means I'm going somewhere where there is peace, where I'm safe. Do you hear the slight difference there? So, yeah, so let's say both. Because I think that's what God wants from the modern church today. So designate these cities, as I instructed you through Moses. These with the designated cities for the people of Israel and any resident foreigner living among them. For anyone who is doing life with you. For anyone who is experiencing the same obstacles that you are experiencing. For anyone who is journeying in that same space as you. Whether it's at work, at home, in the family, friends, neighbors. And I want to encourage each one of us ourselves to be these cities of refuge, of asylum, to be safe spaces where people can come and talk and feel heard. And we don't know if that's going to be a life-changing moment for them or, or whether it's just going to be another moment that passes. That is not for us to decide. But if we at least are those cities, then hopefully from there, God can begin a great and awesome work. Who recognizes the photo 
on the screen right now. What's that? Celebration of New South Wales football. <laughs> <laughs> it's the story bridge I like blue that's why I picked that one <laughs> it's the story bridge because friends I desire that our city be like one of those cities amen amen let's bow our heads and pray God I thank you for this moment and I thank you that you are calling each one of us to be safe welcoming spaces for those who seek justice for those who seek to experience that moment of holiness, for those who seek to experience and understand what it means to be part of your family, to engage with that. So bless us with an understanding of this. And as we go from here, help us find how we can be these safe spaces. We praise you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ for this moment that we've shared. In Jesus' precious name, amen.